Well, if you've been around over the last couple of weeks, you know that we just began a series called In Rhythm, where we're talking about the condition of our heart. We're talking about the condition of our heart because so often we we have these different problems that we face in our lives and we try to attack the problem when really the issue is a, a deeper issue. It's an issue that's found in our heart. And we started last week by kind of laying the foundation by, by speaking this verse out of Proverbs that talks about how the heart is the wellspring of life, that the heart is the wellspring of life, that everything from your life springs and filters through your heart. Every action, every reaction springs from your heart. And so we talked about the importance of having a pure heart. See, all throughout scripture, the Bible repeats over and over again, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. When Jesus is confronted and asked, what must somebody do to be saved? He's being asked this question by people who knew the word of God. He's being asked this question by, by people who had actually memorized the word of God, people that actually would, would put the word of God on their heads and put the word of God into their minds. And so it's very significant that in that moment, Jesus said, in order to be saved, you must believe in your heart. That actually, to actually experience the love that God has for you, it has to begin in your heart. That you can't just have the word of God in your head. You can't just understand it from a knowledge perspective, but you actually have to have that knowledge make its way to your heart in order to experience life change. And so he says you have to know the word of God in your heart. So we have to be sure that our hearts are pure because a healthy life cannot flow through a broken heart. A healthy life cannot flow through a broken heart. And we all go through seasons. We all go through seasons of experiencing a broken heart. See, the key is to not get stuck in that season. The key is to not get stuck in this season of having a broken heart. I think one of the most dangerous experiences for the condition of your heart is to experience disappointment. It's to experience disappointment. I don't, I don't know about you, but I've, I've walked through seasons where, where things, quite frankly, didn't turn out the way that I hoped that they would turn out, where, where I believed for things that I didn't quite see. As I was getting ready even for this morning, as I was getting ready even for today, I, I got a text from a lifelong friend of mine who, who basically said, hey, listen, will you be praying for me this morning because I'm navigating this family situation and that family situation is actually compounded by this other family situation. And she said, I'm, I'm just believing for answers, but nothing yet. I don't know if you've ever been in that nothing yet season. I don't know if you've ever been in that season of I'm believing for this, but but nothing yet. That nothing yet season is a dangerous place to be. That nothing yet season is a vulnerable place for the heart because it's in that nothing yet season that so often disappointment and discouragement and doubt can find their way into your heart. That in the season of nothing yet, you can feel like it's never going to be. You, you can feel like the answer is actually never going to come. Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope delayed, hope put off makes the heart sick. You had a hope in an outcome. You had a hope in a person. You had a hope for a relationship that just doesn't seem to be going as you expected it to go. The answer doesn't seem to be coming as you expected it to come, and it makes your heart sick. But the problem is that, that sickness in the heart is a lot more difficult to identify than sickness in the body. 
that, that sickness in the body is something that we can, we can usually trace and we can usually pinpoint the source of sickness in our body, but often sickness of the heart will confuse us by what it brings out of us. But, but eventually we will wake up to a life where we realize that we have broken relationships and unhealthy habits and destructive patterns in our lives. And what we need to realize is that so often those unhealthy relationships, those, those unhealthy habits, those destructive patterns, those are symptoms of a broken heart. And we, we view the broken heart really just primarily as an emotional state. That maybe something happened that brought me to this place where I feel like my heart is broken. I feel like I am in despair. A relationship breaks down. We lose a, a loved one. We, we face rejection. We have a broken heart, and it's viewed simply as this emotional problem. And so when we view a broken heart as an emotional problem, we, we deal with it emotionally. We view it as emotional, and so we deal with it emotionally. We give ourselves what we want. Generally, when you're in your most vulnerable state of having a, a broken heart, what you, say, what, you, what you aim to do is get yourself what you want. This is why so often when relationships break down, people are, are quick to leave, quick to walk away because they think if I can just walk away and get what I want in this season, it will mend my broken heart. If I can just walk away from this and find what I want, it will mend my broken heart. It's why the age old stereotype of sitting around eating ice cream after a breakup is very true. Because you find yourself in a place where you say, if I can just fulfill my own needs, if I can just get myself what I think I want, then I can mend my heart. And so we abandon the relationship. We give ourselves what we want. We give up hope. We, we, we do whatever we think is best. But isn't it, isn't it interesting that whenever we are brokenhearted, we think the answer is to give ourselves whatever our broken heart desires. As though we can trust our broken heart to know what it needs. As though we can actually trust what is actually the source of the problem to give us the answer. But that's so often what we do, and this is the very reason that, that God says, if you will delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart. Because see, what happens when we delight in God is he doesn't just mend our broken heart. The Bible says that he gives us a new heart. And so when we delight ourselves in the things of God, we get a new heart that lines up with the things of God. And so we can trust the desires of those hearts. But more importantly, we can trust God to give them to, the, to us rather than trying to push to give them to ourselves. That we can trust God to provide the things that we actually need rather than trusting in ourselves. So when you're brokenhearted, see, often we lean more on our desires when we need to lean more into the delight of God so that he can shape our desires and so that he can give us the things that our heart should be wanting. But there's this moment in scripture where we encounter this woman who is very well known. If you've been around church, you've heard her story, probably various stories about her. And in John chapter 11, we hear this moment where something is happening to her brother. And it says in John chapter 11, verse one, it says this, it says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, a couple important moments in this story so far is that the Bible tells us this is the same Mary who poured the oil on Jesus's feet. And if you're not familiar with the story, there's this moment where Mary is pouring oil out on Jesus's feet. She's washing his feet with oil. She's having this extravagant moment of worship with Jesus. And so Mary has this relationship with Jesus where the Bible tells us that, that Jesus loved Mary and her sister that Jesus loved Lazarus. And so Mary and Martha reach out to Jesus knowing that this is a man who loves them, that this is a man who cares for their family, that this is a man that if he could do anything in this moment, certainly he would move. Certainly he would move in this moment because he has a love for us and he has a love for our brother who is laying sick. And yet it says he waited two more days. She knows that Jesus loves her. She, she knows that he loves her brother. She is confident that he will do what she is asking him to do. And yet in that moment, he doesn't. In that moment, he, he doesn't do what she is asking him to do. Have you ever had a moment like this? Have you ever had a moment where it seems like you're, you're crying out to God and, and your cry seems in line with what you know God would want to do in your life? It seems as though you are in alignment with what God would ask you to be praying, with what God would ask you to be asking him, and you're asking him in this moment, but it just seems like there's no answer, that that it seems like it's delayed, that it seems like no matter how much you ask, the answer just doesn't come in that moment. It's a moment of disappointment where, where God's lack of reaction to your cry for help can cause despair. It can cause disappointment. Mary's hope is deferred, and it seems in this moment as though Jesus is delayed, and she's not even sure if he's coming. At this point, she's, she's not even sure if he's actually going to come through with what he said he would do. And remember, this is the same Mary who found herself at Jesus' feet worshiping him, and, and this is what we find when, she, when Jesus finally comes and decides to come and intervene in the moment, beginning again in verse 17, it says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I want you to notice those few words for just a moment, that that Mary stayed home. That when she heard that Jesus was finally there, when she heard that he had finally come on the scene, that Mary, the one who was known to kind of emotionally respond to Jesus, the one who was known to be at Jesus' feet, that she actually does not rush out to meet him. She stays home. I think so often when things aren't turning out how we want them to turn out, so often when we are disappointed, so often when, when we are doubting, we begin to withdraw. We begin to hold back. We begin to, to kind of hold back our heart for fear of more disappointment, for, for fear of more disappointment, fear of more doubt, fear of more discouragement. And so Mary stays home. If you follow the life of Mary, this is very uncharacteristic of her in the moment. Because in, in every other story, when we hear about Mary, she is the one that is closest to Jesus. She is the one that is pushing in to Jesus. She is the one that is worshiping Jesus. She is the one that is giving all she has. And in this moment, she's withholding. She's staying back. 
I think so often this is a sign of our disappointment that, that a broken heart, a disappointed heart is often characterized by withdrawal. See, I, I think what we don't necessarily realize in this story is that Mary had multiple layers riding on this request of Jesus because there were so many different relational components. I mean, we're, we're told outright that, that Jesus loves Mary and Martha. There's no question of his love for them. We're told outright that he loves Lazarus. There's no question of his love for Lazarus. And so when Jesus doesn't show up, not only is Mary's, answer, or Mary's prayer in this moment not answered, Lazarus' condition has deteriorated. He is dead. She, she went when he was just sick, and now he's actually dead. Now the situation actually seems more desperate than it was initially. But not only is this loss of her brother in play, but also there, there has to be some question of why Jesus didn't come. She knows that he loves her. But see, in these moments where we don't immediately get the answer that we believe we should get, often we can begin to question God's love for us. We can begin to withdraw and question, well, if you didn't answer in this moment, what does that mean about our relationship? I've already lost the thing I was believing for, but what does that mean of the relationship that we have with one another? What does this mean of the love that I thought you had for me? It opens the door to question our relationship with Jesus. And so much of, of the suffering that we encounter is relational, isn't it? So much of, of the suffering that, that we face is our relationships with others or, or others' relationships who affect us. So much of it is relational. And in this moment, she's withdrawing. She's, she's stayed back. But finally, the story tells us that, that Martha actually says, Mary, Jesus wants to see you. Jesus wants to see you. He, he's calling for you. And it's not until Jesus calls for Mary that she comes to him. It's not until he initiates a response that she comes to him. And the Bible tells us that in that moment, when she comes to Jesus, it says she falls at his feet and says, if you had been here, if only you had been here, surely things would be different. Surely things would be different. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like Jesus, God showed up in your situation just a little too late? Like, don't you realize like Lazarus is already dead. I reached out to you when he was sick. I reached out to you when maybe you could have come and healed him, but now he is sick. And the Bible tells us that Lazarus has actually been in the tomb for four days. And this is a significant number in scripture because throughout this time in history, it's, it's recorded outside of the Bible that there were actually mistakes that would happen at times where people thought that someone was dead and they would put them in a tomb. And so they would actually wait three or four days before they finished the entire burial process because they had actually had some people who after those amount of days had come back, had not come back to life, but they were just never dead in the first place. And so there had been mistakes that were made. And so four days was a very significant number because four days was considered the amount of time that, okay, we can really consider this person dead. Four days was the amount of time where they could say, we can really finish our burial process now because we know this person is dead. In other words, Mary's situation is finished. She has no more hope for this situation. She says, if you had been here, perhaps you could have done something. But you've showed up a little bit too late. But I think something significant happens in this moment that we have to realize because right in this moment is the moment that we're probably all familiar with where it says that Jesus steps empathetically into Mary's situation and it says that Jesus wept in this moment. That Jesus identified with her pain and Jesus wept in this moment. But I want, to know, I want you to notice what happens. It says that Mary 
fell at Jesus' feet and said, if you had only been here. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus initiated the miracle that she was asking for once she found her way back to his feet? That once she actually found her way back to the posture of humility that she had found herself in so many times before, that it's in that moment that Jesus says, I'm ready to move in this situation. That she found her way back to her feet. See, I think often our question in disappointment, our question when we have a broken heart is, can we find our way back to the feet of Jesus even in our disappointment? Can we find our way back to the feet of Jesus even when it's not working out the way we think it should work out? Can we find our way back to the feet of Jesus even when our prayers seem as though they are unanswered? In the moment of disappointment, can we still find our way back to his feet? Can we come out of our place of withdrawal? Can we come out of our place of disappointment? Can we come out of our place of sitting at our, in our house, not pursuing Jesus, to finding our way back to his feet? See, but this is not the end of the story. It feels like the end of the story. Mary has actually accepted it as the end of the story. When you see their responses, it's interesting because Martha says, if you had been here, maybe you could have done something. And then she says, but I believe that even now, if you were to speak, something could happen, something could change. Mary doesn't say that. Mary falls at his feet and says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. End of story. End of the situation. End of the moment. But this is actually the turning point of the story. It's not the end of the story. And what happens if we pick up the story about a month later is very interesting. In chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Now, what you need to know in this moment is that, that Jesus intervened in this story, that Jesus stepped into Mary's pain. He called out to Lazarus, and Lazarus rose from the dead. And now we're about a month into the future, and it says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So we find a very different scenario here. Just one chapter before, Mary is at Jesus' feet in despair. And now she has returned to his feet in this moment of extravagant worship where the Bible tells us that she pours oil on his feet worth a year's wages and an offering so extravagant that actually other people in the room are uncomfortable with it. Have you ever been uncomfortable with someone else's actions? Like, like, like they're going a little far that you're just kind of like stepping back. Like, I don't know if I want to be even around this in this moment. Isn't it interesting how when you're in a place where you're really anxious and somebody else is not anxious, your anxiety is just highlighted? Like, isn't it interesting that when you're in a moment where you're really angry and, and perturbed that someone else's joy is really highlighted in that moment? It's like even just a little bit of anxiety around people that are not anxious makes you feel like your anxiety is very heightened. 
And I think in this moment, this is what's happening with Judas. And Judas is always scary to me because Judas, we know as the betrayer of Jesus, that for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus. But I think sometimes we forget the fact that Jesus walked with the disciples. He heard all of the same messages. He saw all of the same miracles. And somehow he didn't allow the work that Jesus was doing to enter into his heart. He didn't allow the work that Jesus was doing to find its way into his heart. And so he's disgusted by Mary's offering. But well, what, what is the change in this moment where Mary is despaired and then she is full of joy back to her extravagant self, bringing worship to Jesus? Look again at John chapter 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived. Where Lazarus lived. See, just one month before, Bethany was not the place where Lazarus lived. Bethany was the place where Lazarus died. Just one month before, Bethany was not a place of life. It was a place of death. Just one month before, Bethany was a place of despair. And now it's a place of joy. See, in this moment, Mary's offering to Jesus is not random. It is a response to what he has done in her life. Mary has seen too much. Mary is too aware of the work that Jesus has done right there in her hometown to withhold. See, she's gone from withholding and withdrawing to freely giving. And the key ingredient that took her heart from being broken to being whole was a gratitude, was a heart of gratitude. See, I think so often we're so quick to forget all that Jesus has done for us. We're so quick to forget all of the times and all of the ways that he has come through for us. We get so focused on the moment where it feels like he is distant that we forget all the things that he has done to us. But we find Mary back where she once was at Jesus's feet with the oil broken open, delighting in him. She went from a broken and withdrawn heart to wholeheartedly giving all that she had. As we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, as we enter into this week where, where we really highlight gratitude in our lives, we would be remiss if we forget what God has done for us. We would be remiss if we're only thankful for our family and friends who gather around the table and we don't press in and remember what Jesus has done for us and all that we have to be grateful for. See, she discovered in this moment that the object of her hope was not the outcome she was hoping for. The object of her hope was always Jesus. The object of her hope was always Jesus. See, so often we put our hope in a certain outcome. We put our hope in a certain deliverable. That if God comes through in this way, then I'll be fulfilled, then I'll be whole, then I'll be made whole. But what we have to realize is that our posture and our place always belongs at the feet of Jesus. And there's a couple of things that we see highlighted in what happens when Mary's heart becomes a grateful heart. And the first is that she returns to humility. She returns to humility. She's at a posture of humility at Jesus' feet. Uh, she's bowing down before him, not in this moment trying to put her own will into what he does, but rather submitting to what he's doing in the moment, submitting to what he has for her in that moment, that she returns to a posture of humility, and she returns to a posture of generosity, that she begins to pour out this oil that it says it is worth over a year's wage, that she, she unrestrainingly gives all that she has to Jesus in this moment, in this act of generosity. See, you cannot have a grateful heart and not live a generous life. You cannot have a grateful heart and not give out of that grateful heart. 
And that's why throughout this season, it so often becomes described as the season of generosity, the season of giving, because as our thankfulness, as our gratefulness is highlighted, so is our generosity. That when we realize all that God has done for us, we cannot help but give him all that we have. We cannot help but give him all that we have. So what we realize in this moment is that there is nothing more powerful than a broken heart that has been healed. There's nothing more powerful than a broken heart that has been healed. See, for some of you in this room this morning, you may feel like I am in that season of having a broken heart. I'm in that season of the nothing yet. I've been praying, I've been believing, I've been asking, but there's just nothing yet. Nothing is happening yet. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this. It says, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. Isn't it interesting that in the moments where we feel like God is farthest from us, that the Bible actually says, no, it's in those moments that he's near. It's in those moments that he draws close, that he is near the brokenhearted. See, the, 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 the remedy for our broken heart is not just to recognize that God is near to us, but for us to draw near to him, for us to find our way back to his feet, even in disappointment. Just because Jesus didn't respond when and how she expected did not mean he was not working. It didn't mean that he was not still going to intervene in his circumstance. And the same is true for you today. Uh, You might be in this place when you have been believing for something, you have been praying for something, and I just want to encourage you, perhaps your prayers and perhaps your belief have been focused on the hope of a specific outcome. Perhaps you've been believing to see it in a specific way, when what you need to do is just put your hope in Jesus. Trust his timing. Trust his way. Trust his timing. Trust him to walk it out and not put your hope in a specific outcome. See, because you haven't seen what you've been asking for yet, some of you have chosen to withdraw. Some of you have, been, have chosen to w- withdraw from the relationships that you should be pressing into. Some of you have chosen to withdraw from family. Some of you have chosen to withdraw from loved ones. Some of you have chosen to withdraw from God. To say, listen, if I can't have it my way, if I can't have this outcome, then I'm just gonna withdraw. I'm gonna protect my heart from any more disappointment. I'm gonna protect my heart from any more pain. I'm gonna protect my heart from any more discouragement. But see, it's in those moments more than ever that we need to give our heart to God, to trust him with our heart, to trust him and trust his timing because he's the only one who can take a broken heart and make it whole. Some of you in this place this morning need to trust that this not yet season that you're in is not final. It may feel final. It may feel like the fourth day. It may feel like it's over. It may feel of it. And if he had intervened situation, But just remember that in this moment, God is near to the brokenhearted. God is working in the lives of the brokenhearted. God is working in the relationships of the brokenhearted. God is working in the families of the brokenhearted. And I wanna encourage you this morning to find your way back to his feet, to quit trying to work out all of the details on your own, to quit trying to make sure that that you know exactly how it needs to end and find your way back to the feet of Jesus. Find your way back to making him the focus of your life, him the focus of your relationships, him the focus of your families, because he is the one that can bring the healing that you need. He is the one that can bring the restoration that you need. He is the one that can mend your broken heart. He is the one that can give you the desires of that heart that he wants to give you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me all across this room this morning?